Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kel Nelson, joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman. We're back. Hello. Did you take 25 shots last night? No, no, I no, I did not. Shout out to everyone uh, who posted their Spotify wrapped thingamajiggers who <laughs> oh, yeah. make me feel like a peasant on Apple Music uh, and tagged us in their things. That's crazy. That's insane to me. I don't care if you listen to two podcasts and we're one of the two. That's still Insane to me for those of you who tagged us in there. So we really do appreciate that. Shout out to the guy who at the end of the game last night came over to our section and was like, you're going to drop a new. And then he was pointing at his phone and, I, and I'm blind, so I couldn't see. Like, and it was it that? was like the logo of the podcast. I was like, oh, yeah, tomorrow, tomorrow, man. Thank you. <laughs> Shout out to that guy if you're listening. What's up, man? Thank you for saying hi. And uh, we really do appreciate it. So, yeah, we missed last week. It was, oh, yeah, it's Thanksgiving week. That's longtime listeners know by now, even short time listeners know by now how we are with trying to get the podcast done and we're like oh yeah you're out wednesday too and i'm i'm in fr- it, it happens but we we didn't miss too much honestly we would have came back if we really had to but just more basketball played and hey we'll get into it here but the suns are playing really well but more specifically just their players are playing i don't know how else to say it. like all their players are playing well it's just like everyone is on a really good beat right now they are now 15 and 6 they've won 6 games in a row uh since we last podcasted they played we podcasted the morning or the afternoon of the Utah game that they lost by one point. Since then, they've won six ro- six in a row. That is against the Knicks, Lakers, Pistons, the Jazz, getting that game back. Kings and Chicago. So not a gauntlet by any means, but still getting a lot of things done. And Kevin, here's the thing. They're doing it without Chris Paul, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder. I know a lot of people have been using that tweet template the last couple of days of camp. The Suns are... This happened, 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 and they still are first in the West. I, listeners of the podcast will know I'm not particularly surprised with the injuries. I, I guess I should be a little bit, but I'm also the person who wrote the story on campaign and said I thought he was going to have a bounce back year and that he's one of the biggest X factors in the league. We'll get into him a little bit later, but I, I, that's how I feel about this stretch right now. They're 15 and six. I'm not surprised they're, t- they're top of the West right now just with how they keep the machine chugging because something I wrote about in the early second quarter that no one will ever see is I wrote this spiel on the bulls and just like the Suns added Chris Paul and Jay Crowder to a wealth of young talent ready to win. And they won a lot of games. The bulls added DeMar DeRozan and Nikola Vucevic to a wealth of young talent ready to win games. They have not really done that. And just the continuity, chemistry, flow, rhythm, cohesion, Difference between those two teams was drawing what I was going to write about before Booker went nuts, which we'll talk about in a bit, 51 and three quarters. But it, it's just, they are going to, and this is why I felt this way coming into the season, that they were still going to be first in the West, even with the concerns that we had. There's just, they're so ahead of so many teams, it feels like, every year. And they're only going to keep getting more ahead if they keep the same-ish group around, and they have. And yeah, it's, you look at their schedule, not the toughest schedule, I think the last two years, if we knew what we know about this team, we would have said, yeah, even without those guys, they would have probably beaten those teams. Um, they have had a lot more home games than a lot of other teams, and they're 12-1, and I believe, at home. 
and they've only played what like eight road games and they're like three and five or something like that i don't know if those are factors um this will all even out but the point is i think that you have taken care of business when you could have had an excuse not to and um yeah and and that's just gonna put you atop this league and i just wrote a thing about mvp candidates and from a broader perspective of just how the nba landscape is as a whole there's still so much parity like the the celtics and bucks are kind of pulling away out east a little bit but otherwise it's a mess and there's a lot of good players on every team and um if you buy time and buy wins against anyone in this league like you can't apologize for that and they're in a really good spot so i just think like there's so much more to play out we're a quarter of the way through the schedule somehow Mm -hmm. i just learned this morning when i was going over stuff um but that's a significant chunk of the season to say hey where are we at and i think this streaking team is what celtics are going nuts right now and then uh milwaukee's staying afloat with like Grayson Allen, Javon Carter starting. No offense to those guys, but Giannis is just carrying them, and the Suns are right there kind of with those teams, I think. So here are the numbers to back up what I was saying in terms of, hey, everyone's just playing well. So in the 11 games that Chris Paul has missed, that's obviously without Cam Johnson and Jay Crowder as well. Guess what, folks? We missed a week. They didn't trade Jay Crowder still. By the way, by the urgent request, and I mean people who were knocking on my doors pulling me over on like a <laughs> cop pulled me over just to be like hey man recognize you at the stoplight where's cat's talk yeah we need to talk about umar balo who you c- were ruthlessly criticizing last year <laughs> to that police officer i say tune in in about 30 minutes 20 minutes whenever we get there when we if you're new you cat and i diehard University of Arizona fans slash graduates. We talk about the basketball team on here very rarely. We did it last year. We're going to do it again this year. looks like you can just turn off the podcast at that point. We won't get mad. <laughs> but we're going to talk about the Suns because that's what this podcast Good is tease, for now. though. We're teasing. Devin Booker in these 11 games is averaging 31 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists, 2.3 turnovers. He is shooting 49, 39, and 90. DeAndre Ayton, 18, 11, 2.6 assists per game, Kevin. Uh, one and a half turnovers, shooting 63% from the field, 73 from the line. Mikel Bridges, I wrote a lengthy story, probably my favorite story I've done this year so far uh, on the MIDI committee, followed up with Booker um, after the finals two year, two seasons ago, and he gave me the quote of the story. And just I really dove super deep into Mikel's mid-range game, how it evolved from hey, attack the closeout to, hey, we'll run you around some elbow sets to, hey, here's your signature move to, hey, in that Chicago game, he's just running ball screens. He's like, re- yeah. he, he's having DeAndre reset the screens. It's like the whole deal. He's he's doing the thing. He is averaging 16 points per game with six rebounds and Kevin, four assists per game as well. The assists are, to me, the assist numbers bump is a sign more than the, even the mid-range of like his role expansion. that you're just yeah. yeah you're you're being a part of the offense in the chicago game specifically i'll mention one bit from that game is the start of the second quarter i know that it didn't go well when chamber was the primary ball handler for a second but they were mostly running stuff through bridges after the first three or four possessions and it it went okay and they need to do more of that that's what we ranted about three four weeks ago and they are definitely doing it now and deandre is someone we'll, we'll talk about he won western conference player of the week last week uh we Again, last time we talked, he was on that stretch of, we'll we'll get to him in a minute. I got to go through the numbers. (laughs) 47, 39, 89, the shooting percentages from Mikel Bridges. Campaign, Kevin, 
16 points per game, seven assists per game, three rebounds, only 2.3 turnovers. So again, yeah. that's that's elite stuff. 41, 41, 78 for him. The field goal percentage on the twos is a little low, but hey, that's okay. Damian Lee, 10 points per game, four rebounds, an assist and a half a game, shooting 49, 51, and 100. Torrey Craig, 9.6 points per game, shooting 46, 38, 89, six rebounds a game, including two and a half per game on the offensive glass. That, by the way, on the offensive glass, DeAndre is averaging three and a half per game now over those 11 games. Uh, assistant and a half for Torrey Craig as well. Less than a turnover per game. We've only seen Lander Shaman for four games. He got in concussion protocols. He talked about his experience and stuff and just how it was weird because he had a concussion at Wichita State. It was normal. Like it, it normal in terms of, whoa, everything's weird immediately. Like a, the concussion hit him right concussion, away. Yeah. It took him a couple of days. It took a couple of days for this one to set in. And then they had to just get him through all the steps and everything. And he's been back for four games now. Uh, in his place, Dwayne Washington Jr. averaged six and a half points per game, shot 40, 32, and zero from the field. I'm guessing he took one or two free throws and missed them both. Uh, he had one assist per game and then 0.8 turnovers per game. It, it's tough. Dwayne, Dwayne's playing 12 minutes per game over those 10 games, so I think the assist number is a little low, but with six, that in mind. Six points in 12 minutes, yeah. Six and a half points per game in 12, so per 36, that's 18, that's 19 fine. a game. That's pretty darn good. Uh, Jock Landale, we'll talk about the end of the bench here in a second. Shooting 54% from the field, not too bad. Everyone is playing really well on this team. And here's the interesting part. I went to NBA.com's team stats page, and I put in the season segment as last 11 games. So this is the last 11 games for every single team. It's not looking at the date necessarily, but every team's last 11 games. What do you think the Suns have been better at, offense or defense? Ooh, defense? You are really wrong. Okay. <laughs> offense, they are third, 118 offensive that? rating. Uh, defense, they are 16th. That's basically what the Celtics are doing, too. When Essentially, <laughs> yes. When you're going that hot on offense, it's like, eh, it's going to fall off a here's, little bit. Here's the crazy thing. Uh, assist percentage, they are 19th. True shooting percentage, they are 13th. So they have a top three offense over these 11 games, but they're not distributing at a super duper high rate. They are not uh, extremely efficient in the way that you would expect them to be. Um, They're fourth in offensive rebounding percentage, which is something we highlighted month, month and a half ago. That trend has certainly continued. But to me, when you look at those numbers and don't see assist percentage super high and don't see true shooting percentage super high, it kind of goes back to my original point of like guys playing just really, really well. Yeah. Uh, we already hit on Mikel. I think Cam is self-explanatory campaign. It's mm-hmm. just, hey, he's taking advantage he's of the opportunity. He's really good. We talked about it at the start of this yeah. run for him. This is how he looks as a starter. He's back to himself. Can this transition, more importantly, can this transition to the bench? Because last year he was outstanding as a starter for 12 games. Not so great off the bench. He was more inconsistent. Damian Lee has arguably been the Suns' best reserve. I think that campaign is technically a reserve still, so it probably goes to him, but Damian Lee is right after that, and it's gotten to the point where Imani can play like three-guard lineups and then play Lee at the four sometimes. He can also play him at the two. He's been really good. I'll have words on that sometime this week or or next week on just him and how he's kind of... uh, The timeline guys had the joke that Dario unlocks the Suns as like their their off-season meme because it was continuity two off-seasons ago. Last off-season was Dario unlocks everything. I, I, I actually think Damien is the guy who unlocks a lot of stuff for them. And something I'll get into is we saw Chris Paul and Cam Johnson like kind of 
be staggered in with the second unit once Booker came off. And you can imagine Damian Lee and Shamit with those guys now and the amount of shooting possibilities that they have there. Ooh, boy. Words coming soon, like I said. Okay. Well, let me start here. Let me start here before we get to the big dogs. Uh-oh. Where are you at with this Tory Craig, Jay Crowder thing? Are you fully embracing the line of the stats next to each other and you're getting the same player and same contributions or not? I will save my answer until you go. No, I think he's, I think they're just different enough players, but I will say Tory brings extra on offensive glass. Um, he's been super active and he's actually surprised me as far as like he was really clunky even going back two years um, in how and last year in how he took shots out of this offense and just this amount of time in that starting unit I think he's really found a groove of what works what is within the offense what shots he should take and he's cleaned that up completely and you don't notice him on the offensive side unless he gets offensive boards through hustle but i think the offensive like congru uh, congru i don't know what the right word is he fits in with the starters congru- you're trying to say congruent but with the starters but it's the tensing is wrong i don't know yeah words aren't important it's not our job at all no Anyway, congruent in agreement or harmony congruency with the other starters, the right thing I was going to say. Do that. Dial that in. Congruence, the quality of agreeing being suitable and appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll go with that. Yeah. Whatever, man. (laughs) Thanks. We we should. I mean, we should clean it up. That's what I'm saying. We should. We're going to everyone learning, listening right now, except everyone who's. (laughs) Not an idiot like us, and the, <laughs> the people who don't know congruency or congruent to, to, to continuity. Keep an eye on Tori when he's starting and how... Anyway, yeah, what do you think? Keep an eye on this thing that he does. I really enjoy it. It's really cool. Someone will drive or DeAndre will have the ball in the post and Tori's man will be floating wherever they're floating, you know, because he's not the shooter guy and he'll be... <laughs> typically shooter man standing there waiting have the like the ball in his pocket invisibly already you know he's sitting there waiting he's just cutting now and he times the cuts so well where he under he he understands now when his teammate is going to look for the pass a half second before the teammate probably realizes they're going there and so he's now getting these things where he's almost like creating a dive from a like a screen the way that uh, like bigs get there because what I'm saying is he catches the ball around like 10 to 12 feet and he doesn't even need to take a dribble. He just catches plants finishes. He says some really acrobatic finishes around the rim lately. And that is continuity. I'm with the starters. I really understand it now. And it's really cool to see a player like Tori, who's pretty experienced and has been around a long time, kind of has a bunch of chemistry with this group already, but he's, he's building stuff more. Uh, no, he's not Jay Crowder. Okay. Uh, you know how they keep giving up open layups over and over again? And there's miscommunication all the time on defense lately? Not just him, but it, it's, it's not, a communication thing that's it, missing. Yeah, It's not just him, but and it's Chris also Paul that too. that is what Chris Paul does, and that's what Jay Crowder does. So yeah. I'm, I'm not going to go that far. You wrote a story on, I'm not going to go that far, Tori's been outstanding. But he's, he's not, you can't just do that. 
even if the numbers are there. I don't agree. You wrote a story looking at the MVP candidates, which I'm glad you did because they're probably going to ask me about this on the radio in an hour. Oh, and then in two more hours after that, when I go on the radio again, and they're going to ask me about MVP stuff. And I was probably going to say, I don't know, man. Luca's probably going to put up 34, 10, and 10, 10 this year. So like that's, yeah, that's, probably. that's probably tough to beat. What did you glance at? Because if for so we'll book has had a book year. Uh, he's just been Devin Booker, in my opinion, yeah. slightly better every year. He was, he's been he's slightly better this year, which he was first team All NBA last year. And I think the thing that I was curious about the most going into this season, and I am going to reserve judgment another 20, 30 games and probably into the postseason is for some uh, leap this big was could he not only slightly improve, but could he go from bona fide all-star and a star, which is what he is right now, to superstar and join the Luka, Giannis. The thing that Jason Tatum is doing right now, Mm -hmm. is he doing that too, basically? And I think it's unfair to say he's not and just like rule it out. So I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying that Tatum is doing it, but it's like Tatum appears to be doing that. And I think we should be talking about Booker appearing to do that as well. Tatum's just coming off the finals run that Booker was two years ago, you know, like the same kind of thing. Now, don't don't really look at the yeah. numbers in those finals. It's kind of the same, but... Yeah. I wanna, actually not. <laughs> no, they're, they're not. But is he in the Jokic? Just like, is he there? Is he going to be there at the end of the season? And this type of two-game outburst where he scores... He had 44 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, 6 steals against the Kings. The only reason they won that game was because of him. I know that there are many reasons why teams win basketball games. I am the first one to sit here and say it's not just one guy, but he was the only reason they won that game. More so than the Bulls game. Yes. Mm -hmm. The Bulls game was a lot of really great play from a lot of really... uh, great players they but. did not play well either because the bulls were like we ran a box and one against him and <laughs> both of us were like i don't remember that but it might have been so poorly run yeah but i think book mentioned the box one i was like there was a box and one i just i guess they were running a he box would have one. noticed it in theory because that's one person following, following him. him around the whole time and but then the, the other bu- four were just doing whatever <laughs> you mean the box that they were supposed to form it kevin because it's a box and it's one guy that's yeah. why they call it the box and one so something bad there but Anyway, 44, 8, 4, and 6. It has only been done one time since they started tracking steals. It was John Drew on the Hawks 45 years ago. Oh, thanks for that stat. Six steal games are like the ball falls in your hand sometimes. Like uh, the six steals, he earned five of those. One of them just kind of felt like it it happens. Statistical outliers and stuff. But it was a bonkers performance. And then he comes back the next game, scores 51 points in three quarters. That is the first time I've seen him. Uh, at that level in person, just in terms of the shot making and also the bizarre third quarter thing of I know the double team's coming, but I'm going to make the double team go over there and then reset and then I'm going to manipulate it. And it was like this 17 D chess, not even 40 chess that he was playing to just get shots. He hit the level that he did in Utah and Boston in terms of everything's going in, but it's from anywhere at any time. It's not just one little thing. It's not one little the action. The shot chart was little- really just literally there was no shot on top of the other it was completely different shots every time except the threes over 20 of 25 from the field he only hit six threes and he only hit five free throws so you you do the math there the 23 
points from that. The other 28 from the 14 field goals. That is that that is what I wrote about is that it really should be looked at as one of the best shooting performances ever by a player in in an NBA game before because it wasn't on a scoring, I should say, because it wasn't on 20 free throw makes. It wasn't on because that was part of the Boston game. He went to the line a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't on crazy threes or anything that was clay so the other 50 point games on 31 minutes or less clay hit 13 threes in his which is just uh, i wrote that and i was like what and i <laughs> triple checked to make sure he hit 13 13 is crazy um so it wasn't anything like that he was just scoring and it was it was it was bonkers so him reaching this level um has kind of just started the mvp discussion i guess it's interesting because I thought about the Sacramento game and I was like, man, if that was on national TV, they'd all be talking about him right now. Just all the shows and everything. But then Sam Amick of The Athletic wrote the story where Book has the quote where he's like, I'm just playing basketball. I don't even care about the MVP race. Whatever, man. Just trying to win. Uh, But then the Chicago game happens right after that when this MVP thing starts happening of Gambo joking on the air like 55 to 1. Should I place a bet? All this stuff. And people are actually talking about it. Instead of just being like, oh, yeah, he's averaging 27, 5, and 5 again, whatever. What did your diagnosis reveal of looking at other candidates across the league? One, that there's a bunch just because the league's so jumbled. So, like, like Shea Gilgis-Alexander, that team's only two out of the play-in. So, in theory, if they, like, go up to the sixth spot, let's say, by winning just a little run here, then suddenly he's in the conversation right now, right? Because he's just having a crazy season, both ends of the floor. Um, But I kind of just teared it off after books in the top five with the usual guys. I just want to re-clarify here just just to visualize a bit. So you name... I named, like, seven... The tenth name that you name... Is a guy averaging 31, 6, 5, and yeah. 2, shooting 51% from the field. That's Shea Gildas Alexander. Yeah. It's the 10th guy you named. I named Anthony Davis because they're right there. And he. Donovan Mitchell's not going to get a peep in this talk. He's averaging 28, 4, and 5, but shooting 49% from the field. If they field have the best record in the league, yeah. he might. That's Steph's all. averaging 31, 7, and 7. Best shooting splits of his career, possibly. Um, Embiid's going nuts. Jokic's numbers actually are way down four fewer shots per game um, but he's shooting 63% he basically doesn't care right now because that team's a lot better obviously um, so like if they I think if a team runs away that guy's going to be it and then you have so that's what you think it's going to come down to but like if, if this holds for 60 games like this pack of players it's going to come down to which team has the best record basically as the but then you throw Luca in there yeah. So then it's like, okay, if if you stop it right now, I think it'd be Tatum, Luca, but like Giannis should be in there because his numbers are insane. Uh, Jokic maybe, but probably not. But then you'd look at Booker versus Tatum, and you'd say, hey, well, he was playing with all his dudes, and Booker was not. And then Luca's just like would break how they usually vote for the award. So I think. My takeaway was just it's it's going to be records-based, and then you're going to have to whittle it down from there based on stats. And I am I think I just did it because a lot of dudes are having really amazing seasons from a statistical standpoint, and not even beyond that. Like, last night, Booker, 
Tatum scored 49, 25 shots. Giannis scored like 37, like a bunch of rebounds, blocks, and just all these performances are just making you, I don't know, just as a basketball fan, I wrote it because it's like refreshing where it's hard to hit a night in this league where there's just like, I don't want to watch the Suns play this team because that team's not very good. The league is so talented now that you almost need no one really comes out of nowhere to win the MVP that year. Now, if Booker wins it, some people will say, or Tatum wins it, I think some people will say that that kind of comes out of nowhere because we're talking Luka, Giannis, Jokic. That's like been like the Steph. Those have been Unicorn KD. Unicorn type. You've been talking about those guys. Those have been the guys in the discussion. But you think about the amount of attention in the spotlight that Tatum has had the last couple of years. You think about Booker specifically. I just think last year happened too fast for people. Yeah. It's for something like MVP. I think you need to realize how long it takes for the national media cycle and just national people covering these teams to consider someone in this level. I, you and I predicted awards last year and we both thought he wasn't going to make first team all NBA because it just takes a really long time for people to be considered of that caliber. But then he just had the run, the Chris narrative really, if Chris doesn't get hurt, he doesn't make first team all NBA. He doesn't get MVP votes. It doesn't happen. Yeah. I'm, I a hundred percent believe that he could have played the same exact way, put up the same exact numbers. It wouldn't have mattered because the narrative juice people know this is how it felt for a long time it's it's a narrative based award it always has been and most awards are like that i mean you need the narrative kind of juice to get there so jake fisher went on with bickley and murata this morning and basically was like i was trying to do reporting on trades last week there were none but like when i was on the phone with exec scouts lots of people were talking about how devin booker has shed this like guy who used to get numbers label and is a good player now that was like this week and people in the league, like the people who pay attention and make decisions. And that happened uh, five years ago, six years ago, when he started doing that? Yeah. And when it's he like, started actually proving, I'm not just a numbers guy, right. I play winning it basketball. It takes yeah. so long. Yeah. And, and Tatum never had that really attached to him, so I think he can turn it around quicker to have that. And I think he does have that, rightfully so. I think he and Booker are right there. But I, I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, it's he's fighting this perception and it, it is turning, and I think I think we saw a turn, like you said, the All NBA voting was like, oh, really? I think he deserves that, but I'm surprised he got that. People make a big deal out of these things sometimes, way too much, I think. But it's just like the when ESPN puts up a graphic of like the five, like they they do like a little caricature painting thing, and there was one that Booker wasn't in. You know, it was yeah. Jokic and Giannis, and everyone was in, but he wasn't in it. It's like he needs to be in that. He needs to be in every single thing like that. To be an MVP, you need to be in. So I'm not I'm not quite there yet in terms of believing that he's he's in that group yet. I just think this is a fun thing for people to talk about this week, just like they were talking about Jaw for MVP last week, last yeah. year. You know what I mean? Like it's I, I unfortunately, unfortunately, I think that's what it is. Do I think he's the MVP now? I can't say. I need to spend like a week looking at this kind of stuff. You spend a day and you and you're still kind of like, I I don't know. I don't know. My brief look at it and just looking at it and taking in what I know and what I've come to know about how this process works. It is a one horse race right now, but that factors on. Do you believe that Luca's 
situation is a detriment to him or it is a it is the other way he is putting up these numbers because his team sucks he does not have good players around him right now the guys that were playing well last year it's been a mixed bag over there to say the least they're 10 and 10 right now with the numbers this guy is putting up if he had another ball handler with him these numbers would be down he does not they lost Jalen Brunson just didn't replace him just but if if they keep that and they're in the playoffs let's say even top eight or top six somewhere in there then he has to be that because then it's like okay this trash team is trash but they're in the playoffs um there's some gray area and argument in there but to me yeah I don't know I don't need to make a decision right now that's not my job but also if if we cut it off right now at 82 games and said all these resumes were in 82 games, then I think you would have a four-horse race, and it would be a very good to, argument between four guys. To continue, yeah, one of Tim Hardaway Jr., Dorian Finney-Smith, and uh, Reggie Bullock, one of them has a shooting percentage in the 40s, one of them has a shooting percentage in the 30s, and one of them has a shooting percentage in the 20s. Dorian Finney-Smith is shooting 41.8% from the field. Tim Hardaway is shooting 32.7% from the field. And Reggie Bullock is shooting 29.1% from the field field on field goals. Do they count layups in those? That's how shots work, Kevin. Yes, they do. Okay, I was just checking. What I'm trying to say is, are people going to see the Mavericks at 41 and 41 or 44 and 38 when... The Suns win 57 games, the Celtics win 59, the Bucks win 61. You get the point I'm making. And will they look at Luka's numbers and say, he's got to be the MVP with these numbers? Or yeah. will they look at it and say, like, your team's not good enough? But what I'm saying is, will they say, well, his team sucks and he still got them to 44 and 38. So it, it depends on how the people making these decisions and the people who write the words and say the things out loud who get paid millions of dollars to do this stuff, those big, big, big dogs, and then the the still pretty big dogs, but the slightly (laughs) smaller dogs who, like, opinions we trust more than anyone else, like Zach Lowe and all those kind of guys, like, are they going to look at this and say, like, I don't don't care that these, look at these shooting percentages, they're terrible, and look at what Luka's doing. Like, he has them in the playoffs somehow, it's amazing. Or he could look at it and say... They're not they're not a good enough team. You can't give it to a you can't A-rod this when he was on the Texas <laughs> Rangers, you know what I'm saying? You can't do that. Or you can. And and someone's and people are going to decide. They're going to decide here in 60 games because <laughs> you, you couldn't believe those numbers. You thought I was reading the wrong column on the stat sheet, brother. I ain't. If that's for a full season, then yeah. More power to you, but that's also why it's like is everyone going to keep scoring 30 points? Like his numbers aren't even that much more ridiculous than like Giannis is. Hey, let's come on. Put your phone down. Give it up. Josh Green, everyone. Point guard there Josh Green. There we go, baby. There we go. Shooting 60% from the field right now, baby. Too early for cats talk. Let's go. Come on, Josh. At a babe. DeAndre Aiden wins Western Conference Player of the Week. I'm still in the same <laughs> spot I was three weeks ago where it was three weeks ago we'd had. The, and that was the opposite conversation. That was the, the he's playing poorly. He had he had a bad two weeks. And even if you look at these games, uh, 
at Miami, for example, uh, we did podcast before that or after that game. He was brutal in the first half, invisible, floating, just not even it, it, remotely involved in the game. It felt like, and he was just the turnovers because he's not rolling, like the drop passes there, and he's just not there. Then he was impactful in the second half. The same exact thing happened in the Utah game again, but that is a net negative to me every time. It's just a net negative every time. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do it any other way. But again, I was like, okay, if this is going to be a thing all year, we'll see it, but let's wait. And unfortunately, uh, for those of you who want to see us say he's turning the, he's, he's, I, I think the way I can't remember I phrased the way I phrased it is like he's, he's come just absolutely flying around the corner that everyone wants to see him turning. You know, you turn the proverbial corner flying around it vin diesel and you fast can make five, a u-turn and go back drifting around hits the nose as he completes the drift i don't know yet i don't know yet i don't know i don't know how you can sit here and say you know uh the one thing i do know is that in the last four games specifically when he catches a drop pass or anything like that on a short roll or a roll and he's within 14 feet he is planning two feet and detonating yes elevating detonate as as the great Tom Leander once said he's yeah. doing the Amari thing in that small sense. That's new, and that's and that different. is new. Yeah, and that is different, and that is the one real notice, uh, noticeable change that I've seen, which is extremely positive with what we're talking about in terms of mindset, blah blah blah, all that kind of stuff. It directly correlates to everything we've been talking about. Twenty-eight and twelve, I want to say, against the Pistons, and then twenty-nine and twenty-one against Utah. My favorite thing about both those games are. Those are John Drayton games. Hey, buddy, Marvin Bagley starting at the five over there. Let's get to work. Hey, Kelly Olynyk should not be able to get away with being on the court right now because you're out here. Yeah. That was my favorite part of it. Yeah. I, I think just going back to the planting and loading, um, I don't remember when he has ever done that. Like until this past few weeks. And that's, again, even if he's 14, 15 feet out, if he's going toward the rim, he'll catch it. And he's a big dude with long strides. You can take contact. You can either dunk it. I don't care if you dunk it. If you want to lay it in, fine. But he's trying. And you get a few free throws out of that. I don't, again, care about the free throws, but it's more just like he's assertive. And I think James Jones actually said on Burns Gambo yesterday, like he's starting to realize that he can be the number one option within the Suns offense, which is a good way to phrase it, I think where it's not like, oh, we're going to run stuff for you. It's like everything is here for you to score 25 out of our offense. You just weren't seeing it and being like, okay, I need to, oh, look, here's a way for me to get it on this play. Here's a way for me to get it on this play if I roll harder, whatever. Um, But, yeah, it's it's going to have to be long stretches for us to believe what we see. Obviously, everyone knows it'll be a week-by-week thing with him as far as just having that mentality. Um, do you think the Pat Bev shoving his back had anything to do with that? Because I know a lot of people are like, oh, he got like toughened and I don't... mean, the timing lines up, I don't know. The timing lines up, but he just got shoved. Anyway, I don't see that. I just see a guy who someone said something like, hey, you had some bad games this week. Let's have a better week. And that's progress, but we'll see. And again, not to take any away from him because he's been, I don't know, Mikel's been pretty good too, but he's been their top three player the last week or so consistently. Yes, consistently. 
basketball team's playing really well. More importantly, I think the individuals are all playing well, and that's going to go a long way. And if they can get... I think we're past the like off-season, all the bad things. Like We're past that now, right? I know there's going to be trade chatter and stuff with DA probably just because of the contract situation and whether they make a big, big move, but I don't know. I, I feel what are you like, saying? Expand for a sec. Like, I just feel like the bad juju of last year is like kind of they're past it. Oh, the, the huge dark cloud that was yes. hanging over this season yeah. that we saw on media day and it started pouring rain yeah. from that cloud. Yeah. Yeah. Clouds aren't there anymore. I think they're in a good spot. I mean, they have holes, but it's a quarter of the way through the season. Look at that optimism. You know what's fun about next week? No, I don't. MVP week. They play at Dallas on Monday, and then Jason Tatum and the Celtics are here on Wednesday. So if uh, Mr. Booker wants to uh, broaden his horizons a bit outside the... uh, (laughs) The old, I'm just a hooper, um, I'm teasing, of course, uh, has the right mindset. But if he wants to like lock in and be like, you know what? I do want to be MVP this year. I'm going to do that. That would uh, be a nice thing to do. It would be good to outplay Luka and Tatum in back-to-back games. I would feel good about it. That would be a wise thing to do if you want to add a trophy <laughs> to your collection. Hey, man, I said it about the Chris Paul injury when... Uh, <laughs> When it happened, I was like, hey, man, Chris Paul injuries are different on the injury report than all others. So I don't know. It's been 11 games now. Monty, a week ago, said, I can't really speak on that. It's probably taking a bit longer than people thought it would because we haven't shared like what it is and just how and it's just how we operate. Are you telling me the right shoulder contusion in the Lakers series wasn't just a right shoulder contusion, Kevin? Are you telling me this right heel soreness is not just right heel soreness? Hmm. Hmm. I don't know how serious it could be, but whatever it is, it's not. I could play. And if it is, well, I don't know. I would assume it is something where he's already, he was already could have played it. it I actually believe it's that to a certain extent, but it was, I could play it 80% like drag or, it out, yeah. or 60%, but it is a gradual, he's at, 85 90 95 percent now and it's like no we're just gonna wait until you're at 105 we're not even gonna go anywhere cam's injury was first week of november i believe so we are nearly a month into it month or two is kind of what we were looking at we thought a bit so could come back in december we'll see he was on the bike today that was a good sign to see him just being physical doing stuff good for him to not be stuck in and this is rehab not uh, he's still doing rehab nonsense but being stuck on like the dario thing as i've talked about a lot just really opens your eyes watching a guy go through the nine month cycle on a day-to-day basis it's like oh man that seems just brutal this is where i get confused though because like i think we agree that even if those guys could come out theoretically in place sooner it's good to rest them and take every precaution make sure they're in 100 percent shape even better shape than when the season started whatever but when you say that, and then you also like look at the load Booker and Mikel and um, yeah, not DA, but those two guys specifically are taking on. It's like okay, well, let's find a few ways to like put them on the injury report with some things that you don't necessarily need to, right? Because I think those guys equally deserve 
I don't not deserve, but you need them healthy and fresh for the postseason. And I guess that's a while off, but still on my mind. Don't have to worry about seeding right now. That, that's for sure. We were talking about how important that was a couple weeks ago, but no. they don't have to worry right now. I will say the Western Conference is a mess, and we're going to need start of January is when we'll start to see separation. By separation, I mean separation between one and nine. Like I think the Suns are only four games ahead of the team in ninth or tenth right now. It's crazy. Uh, so long, farewell to you, my friends. Goodbye <laughs> for now until we meet again. Sing it along at home, everyone, if you know the tune. Cats talk time. We're back. Top five team? I'm excited, Dan. Might be better than last year. The Cats are 6-0. and Coming off big wins against San Diego State and Creighton. Less of that, like the, the wins that they've gotten, more of just watching the team, specifically Umar Balo, who's averaging 19-10 <laughs> right now. He went from the Caleb Tarzuski, Coronadiasco tier of Arizona centers who cool. frustrate the living heck out of me to he's probably my favorite player on the team right now just because he beats the piss out of people, <laughs> Kevin. Oh, my God. He barrels his shoulder into folks. He's just the physicality that he plays with and getting away with it at a college level, which I'm a fan of. I'm not yeah. looking forward to Pac-12 play right now, but it seems like he's getting a good whistle for now. But he just, oh my gosh, he's just playing with this load of physicality that I'm surprised to see at the college game, to be honest. And he's basically Pac-12 Shaq. I mean, let's yeah. just say it like it is. He's <laughs> so what the guy's doing kind of I, I don't know I, I don't know how I can't tell how much I'm kidding right now I'm just really excited <laughs> about this team so basically my pitch to you yep my pitch to you and this this a, a very interesting discourse began after the Creighton game which is like oh my god is this team better than last year yeah they had three guys go in the draft are they better than last year it is basically the same team and what I mean by that is they have seven really good players Kirk Risa starting to take some twos, starting to at least come around ball screens with urgency to show, hey, I will shoot. And then he's been just, oh, layup, oh, layup. Yeah, you can get layups, Kerr. They're going to be there sometimes. You're allowed. He's been great. Averaging 15. I mean, all their numbers are insane, so I won't really read them right now. Joined in the backcourt by Courtney Ramey, who is just a baller. Biggest surprise. Oh, my goodness gracious. I looked at his numbers and saw a guy who shot 40% from the field for Texas and just immediately assumed... Uh, things now it's only been three games we'll see but you and I and people listening who are longtime basketball viewers will see the comfort with how he shoots off the dribble the comfort in his catch and shoot the mechanics the way that he attacks closeouts the way Kevin when Kerr's on the bench that he runs the offense yeah I didn't see that coming oh he can handle the ball so he's like Dalen Terry but with more jumper and less defense length like athleticism in that like by 15% I'm not saying it's a huge difference but he can get off a shot Anytime he wants. Also, Pella Larson, who hasn't had to be the Pella Larson I thought he would have to be, which is arguably the best player on the team. I think he's going to start to have some really big games here really soon because I think that watching him physically, he's moving differently and better, but the results haven't really been there yet because everyone else is playing so gosh darn well. Tubelis looks like the best player on the team that I saw Remembered last how year. how to catch a basketball. Good. Good going. Uh, the Creighton and San Diego State games did include some moments where he got caught at the rim and, and some of the stuff we saw in the tournament, but then he just kept on trudging. It's like, that a baby. Just keep it going. <laughs> we mentioned Ballo. And then off the bench, you're at, you're asking yourself, where's the seventh guy? Um, Cedric Henderson has, has been really good. I, I think that he's um, 
limited slasher, like line drive, kind of like Cam Johnson slasher, where you just want him in a line drive, but he can handle a ball screen and go. And more importantly, he just does super senior stuff at a really good level while shooting well enough and providing them an option on offense. And Kev, I got to tell you, the 17-year-old kid, Kylan Boswell, I think he's really good. Lloyd's kind of sort of playing him a little bit, but I think that he's, he's the seventh guy here I'm talking about. I think that he's... He's really good. And ultimately their season, I think is going to come down to if the improvement and like Ramey and all that is legit for those, for those six. But then also if one of ball Vsar Vesar, sorry, uh, or Boswell is capable of joining it. I think it's Boswell already. I just watched the two games against terrible teams. I was like, he, he's it him play him. Can't dribble enough. Please play him. Does not have enough dribble stuff. Weirdly for a point guard can but pass the heck out he of the ball pass. though. And he can shoot a little bit. I thought Adama ball was going to be mm. like sixth man could start. Cause I didn't know Ramey was that good. Uh, he needs to figure it out. He has potential to like be an NBA player, I think. Yes, absolutely. Dribble stuff though. It's, it's yeah. taking a while. It, but it shooting. Looks, yep. He has like lanky length. Um, so if he can like stick in the rotation, I think Basel will be in the rotation though. Yeah, you're right on that. Like he trusts him. He doesn't trust people very often like that. So they will have depth. Um, I think the reason why, by the way, Boswell played two minutes against San Diego state four against Creighton six against Cincinnati. Those are the three games that, uh, Kyer or sorry, Kyer Ramey, uh, did not play in. So he's not playing that much at all when in ball is the guy actually getting more minutes. I think that needs to be flipped, but I yeah. understand we're in November and ball is the kid where if they can get him going in a couple of months, yeah, different dynamic to have that kind of athlete off the bench. So my whole thing with Boswell and I'm probably overcompensating here, but I thought actually Kyer was the one guy I was worried about replacing more than anyone else. I thought that he was very underrated last year, just in terms of having another guard ball handler, Point guard, scorer, shooter, all of those things. I'm making him sound like he's the second coming, but he was just very solid and reliable and important at everything, and they need another guard like that off the bench. But then Kerr went to the bench, and Courtney Ramey was like, take a breather, buddy. Get a Gatorade in you. I got it. And I'm like, oh, okay. I guess they can just do the the old Devin Booker, Chris Paul stagger with those two and be, be all good. Anything concern you six games through? I got nothing. We're a juggernaut. No. Nope. Uh, the depth, I guess you could say, and we just talked about that. One injury, they're screwed. I mean, Kerr got hurt last year, and it screwed him. This. He know. has been much better as far as like picking his spots, not being aggressive as a scorer, and making sure they run offense, and that's where that offense just hums, man, and those bigs just bully people. And Tubelis just runs. He just yeah. runs. They can shoot the crap out of the ball better than last year. I and, think and Bala was a guy who from Gonzaga to last year got in much better shape, but you can see that he got in the shape. He should have been in at Gonzaga to be honest last year, but then this year it's like, he's in elite shape. He is still a big boy playing 26 minutes per game at that size is tough, especially with how much they run and how many ball screens he calls. Like there's sometimes where I can tell after eight minutes, he's kind of tired and Kirk calls for another ball screen. And I'm like, go, go up there. Umar, <laughs> just take a deep breath. Go. It's going it, to, it's going to be over soon. You're going to be able to get a breather, but he's been, he's been a monster and it, it's basically a, they just need offense. And I think Pell Larson's going to prove that in the next 
six weeks, but the the Matherin hole of perimeter scoring was the one I was worried about. Emergency shutoff valve guy. When if the size isn't up. if the size isn't working, if the high low game isn't working, if Kerr's ball screen game isn't working, but do you have Ramey, a scoring option? But Ramey can do dribble stuff, get Larson, off shot anytime. Larson is could be that guy. I think he will be. And then Henderson in little in little's a little spurts, bit, yeah. just a little bit here and there. And then I hope that's where Boswell can kind of do stuff too. But to your point, Adama Ball too. I don't really have much else to say, man. That's just, I'm super excited. They play Utah tonight. I'm going to fly home to try and see it as soon if as it starts. If you want to watch basketball that's fast as heck and they defend like heck, they're a just good really team. fun. Yeah, it's like the way we talk about the Suns in the purest basketball sense of just they're fun to watch they play have an basketball. Edge. Their point guard was. He's been known to smack talk people as good as perhaps the NBA MVP. Corny Ramey started talking to someone on San Diego State, and I was like, yes. Because <laughs> Dale and Terry's gone, and he did that every single game to everyone. And I was like, you need to sort of replace. You know, you can't replicate what he did, but Matherin was kind of an MF or two in that kind of sense. Even Coloco would kind of, I mean, Caleb Martin tackle him <laughs> and threw him into the stands because he was just playing hard. Um, but I think Ramey kind of provides that, and Larson has always been kind of like that too. All of them He's kind tough, of are, yeah. honestly. Yeah, it's just Tommy Lloyd finds his guys like Monty does. It's the the corollaries are kind of crazy. Okay, <laughs> we do Pod- enough I podcast feel over. I feel uh, MVP week next week. Yeah, cool. Uh, weird, weird schedule. They've got Houston tomorrow. That's Friday. And then they play a 2 p.m. game in San Antonio on a Sunday. What? Yeah. Dallas on Monday. That's the MVP week. And then home against the Celtics on, you know what helps with MVP games, Kevin? It's on ESPN. Oh, Ooh, Wednesday? Boy. Wednesday. Okay. And then New Orleans back to back in New Orleans. Another weird. Uh, again, I said weird. Six thirty on Friday, New Orleans. Fair enough. One thirty on Sunday in New Orleans. So they've got back to back Sunday afternoon games. One thing you can't do when you go to a fun place like New Orleans, you just gotta go make your curfew, go to sleep. Chris will have it down. They'll be good. I'm worried He'll more because of options. the other team in our market has struggled with such things. But okay. How was Hard Knocks? Was it Soft Pats or whatever again, or no? I think so. I I watch it. I I don't think I will. I I like fast forwarded through episode, the third episode. You're shaking your head. I'm shaking my head. I hope you're shaking your head with us at at home and on the drive home. I would assume more than anything else on the flight somewhere. Hope you travel safe safely. <laughs> it, it, good good blessings to you and your households, as one Winston Bishop said. Goodbye.